0: the second, second day in our series and it's a it's kind of a, a reboot of a series we did in 2018 and as we said most of you weren't here but it's Romans chapter 12 and, and I'm going to go back and not read the whole passage but I'm going to read from verse 1 forward because again we don't like to kind of drop in to bu- books of the Bible like this. We don't like to do that um, because we don't think it really helps you understand that that's not the way scripture should be approached that we should be looking at scripture in its context but we made an exception this time but to try to help remind us ourselves of that we always want to remind ourselves of the context so chapter 12 verse 1 says i appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of god to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your spiritual worship the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So as we talked about last week, chapter 12 comes at the beginning of this new major section. The first 11 chapters, it's been divided into, you know, this is the gospel. This is what Jesus Christ Has done for us and we go all the way up to chapter 8 and chapter 8 ends with that wonderful verse of of Paul asking the question to which the answer is nothing and the question is what can separate us from the love of Christ if we have experienced justification by faith faith in Jesus Christ and we have been accepted by Jesus Christ. And we, we have been sealed in the Spirit. We know his love poured out on us. What can separate us? And Paul's answer is nothing. There's nothing that can separate us. And then he takes kind of a, what seems to us, because most of us are Gentiles, kind of a side trip because he wants to address this group in the church and he wants to address this this group that's that's the Jewish Christians and he's simultaneously doing a couple things one is he's he's trying to help them understand in their particular case because th- their perspective is different the gentiles are coming out of this pagan society this Polytheistic society, this is a, this society that's in some ways very much like modern American society. The Jewish people, especially the, the Hebraists, the ones who are the traditional Jewish people, they're coming out of a faith that is, is actually connected organically to Christianity. And they're coming out of that, and, and it's it's raising questions. And, and some of the questions that they're going to struggle with, we've already seen when we were going through the book of Acts. It's like, okay, we get it. Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah. We, we believe in him. Okay, and we get it. It's not just for us, but it's for all who believe. So we're going to like let the Gentiles in. But then they started wrestling with it. If this is really Judaism, but now it's fulfilled Judaism, why aren't these Gentiles becoming more Jewish? A struggle. Another struggle could be like, is, is God leaving the rest of Israel behind? Is he leaving the Jewish people behind? Did, did he choose us, and now he's gone on to plan B? A struggle. And every time I start thinking about Romans, I want to preach Romans, but we're not preaching Romans. We're only preaching Romans 12. Maybe someday we'll come back to it. But first 11 chapters... He's dealing with what is the right theology? What happens to us when we have faith in Jesus Christ? He's trying to help reconnect the Jewish Christians, help them understand. And then he's going to get to chapter 12. And chapter 12 he's going to say, now, if, if, if we understand everything and we have experienced what I've been talking about in the first 11 chapters, this is what results in chapter 12. This isn't what should result. This is what does result. If I, you know, if I dump a bucket of water on you, I could say what should happens is you'll get wet. No, it's not what should happens. It's what will happen. If, if we have believed in Jesus Christ, it's not what should result If we have faith in Jesus Christ, if we're following him, it's not what should result, it's what will result. Just like if I dump a bucket of water in you, you will get wet. And one of the nagging questions you should be asking yourself is when I talk about what Paul's going to talk about from Romans here, when I talk about what should be happening to us individually, and when I talk about what should be happening to us as a church, and if the Bible presents it as if I dump a bucket of water and you, you get wet, if you're saying, I've experienced everything in the first part of this book of Romans, but I'm not experiencing chapter 12, you need to ask why. That's the nagging question you should have. Why? Is it because you just didn't know? Is it because you're new in your faith and you're young in your faith? Or is there some other reason? Because. The Bible presents this as this will happen. Not should happen, may happen, can happen. It will. And it's interesting this, you know, we don't have this Jewish Gentile divide. It's not what we struggle with in our culture. But we struggle with something similar. But it's almost like Paul is saying, because what happens in, in Rome is, is there's an uprising among the Jewish people, and it's, and it's kind of a riot. And some people, historians believe it's actually because of Christianity. But all the Jewish people, whether they're Christians or not, are forced to leave the city. But they're starting to come back. And of course, they're coming back, and they're coming back to a church that's been without them for a while, and it's different. And Paul is, is both in theology and practically saying, we come, when you come back, we, you know, we need to be one body in Christ. One body in Christ. But it's funny, because we have similar things that go on in our, as gone our society, and recently we have this going on in, in our church, and not just our church, other churches, where people have, have been absent from church because of COVID for two, three years, and some of them are afraid to come back, and some of them come back a little bit, and, and it seems like like different, but... The message Paul gives to them is the same message to us. It's like, if we're to be one body in Christ, we're one body in Christ with whomever God draws together as that body of Christ. We need to get over this, that God is perfectly okay with us dividing ourselves up and separating ourselves from each other. There's different things that happen in churches as churches get to be a little healthier and, or more stable, is church becomes like people's happy place. Like the rest of the world is their life, their family, their job, whatever, is, you know, there's so much turmoil. So church is their happy place. They come to church for an hour or two hours, kind of relax and stress. The problem is if church is your happy place is that you don't want it ever to change because there's no guarantee if it changes that it will keep being your happy place. You want it to stay exactly the way it is. Hopefully that's not you. But I think one of the reasons some people are afraid to come back is because they know the church is different and they were coming here because it was their happy place. And by the way, if for whatever reason we don't want our church to change because we like it how it is, then we can never grow. And if we're not growing, we're not healthy. Healthy churches grow. And I don't mean grow in number. I mean grow into being more of what Christ called us to be. And one of the other nagging questions you should ask yourself is, your current interaction with the church. John and I have these really good discussions on, uh, maybe you could give a better adjective, great discussions on Wednesday morning. I'm pretty sure he brought up this point. But the other nagging question we should ask is, what is my current connection right now to the church? How long have, has that been my connection? And here's the nagging question. Where is it going? Is it the end? Have I been in the same Bible study for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and that's, that's it? I just go to that Bible study? Or is it going somewhere? Is it leading you to something else in the church? Is it preparing you to now be a teacher? Is it preparing you to somehow be more involved in different ministries? Where is it going? Some of you have heard me talk about um, what I call front porch ministries. I think yesterday there was a Joy Cafe. Joy Cafe is a front porch ministry. Front porch ministries are often we call them like affinity groups, like our youth group or our young adults, those are all front porch. They get us to the church, but we sit on the front porch. We often use them to attract people who aren't Christians, who probably couldn't deal with all of you all at once, so they want to to connect to the church with people who are kind of like them. We call them front porch. Unfortunately, in a lot of churches, front front porch ministries become the church. The youth never engage with anyone else in the church except the youth. The senior adults never engage with anyone else except the senior adults. Women never engage with anyone else except at Joy Cafe or women's ministries. I'm not saying that's going on here. I'm just saying I've been in church long enough to see it go on. And, and I've seen it happen in churches of every size when we look at what the church is, we're going to understand that front porch ministries its not the church. The church is what's happening in the house. And in the house, it is all these groups coming together as one body in Christ. It is not, hey, let's all be united so we can divide again. Let's all come to Christ be united and then we're going to divide us up by types. No, we divide up by types only because we think that helps, but it helps people then come and be part of the body of Christ. Have those nagging questions in your head as we're going through this. I read through from chapter 1 because I mean from chap- from verse 1 because I want you to rem- to understand that when Paul says in verse 4, we are one body. He is saying this is what living sacrifice leads to. Living sacrifice doesn't lead to you making some great sacrifice that out there on your own. Living sacrifice means that we become a healthier church. We become more and more one body in Christ. It's connected. And as we talked about last week, Living sacrifice, what we saw in the language of living sacrifice is that in verse 1 he says spiritual worship, true worship, is living our lives as living sacrifices to God. We also saw the importance of discipleship, and that discipleship simultaneously helps us to become transformed by the renewal of our minds, but it also protects us from being conformed to the world and how, what the world values. And then we saw how discipleship, living sacrifice, truly living worship leads to humility, not pride. The more I, quote-unquote, accomplish in Christ, the more humble I become. I'm not the more proud I become. It's what we heard throughout Acts. Acts. And we, we, if we can't be one body in Christ, unless we take Paul's exhortation to be living sacrifices. You know, when I was you know, approaching 50, and most of you know my stated goal is to live to be 150. Um, so I'm a th- little more than a third of the way there. Um, but when I was approaching 50, the more realistic part of me said, you know, I don't want to wait until I'm unhealthy because of age to be healthy. I I know as I get older, things are going to happen. I want to be as healthy as I can when I'm healthy to face the challenges ahead. There's some people, some churches, who only care about health when something quote-unquote goes wrong. Maybe there's a big fight. Maybe there's a problem with the pastor. Maybe there's some other issue that comes up and now they care about church health. It's like, no, I'm not talking about church health because I think our church is sick. I actually think in a lot of ways our church is healthy. But we have no idea what's coming tomorrow and the next day and the days ahead. Has our unity truly been tested? Has our faith truly been tested? And are we ready? The other thing I know about health is that you, in physical health is that you can't just you, there's no shortcuts. People often ask me like, "Oh, how can I get healthier? How can I lose weight? How can, all these things?" And I'll tell them, like, there's no shortcuts. It takes time, It takes discipline. There's no shortcuts. Unfortunately, a lot of people aren't interested in being healthy. They just want to look healthy. That's hugely problematic. But there's no shortcuts. The average stay of a pastor in an evangelical church in the United States eighteen months. Eighteen months. That's not enough time for a church to get healthy. And it's not because the pastor always gets fired. It's because sometimes the pastor just leaves, gets impatient. Ah, I tried it with these people. I gave a whole year. One of the blessings, I'm you know, working on my eighth year here, is that so many of you gave us time for this church to make the transitions it needs to make. To become healthier and let me just give you one more warning if the church continues to get healthier and you want to stay exactly the same way you're more and more going to feel out of place you're never going to be unwelcome here but you're more and more going to feel out of place As more and more of the church understands what it means to be healthy and becomes healthier, and you're like, no, I want to just stay here. When I got into, it was in my 20s, I used to, you know, I always run and lift a weights, but I used to play basketball and all this. And then as I got in my 30s and early 40s, all my friends started playing golf. And I didn't really golf. And I realized that either needed to learn to play golf or find different friends. You know, because that's what they did. That's what they talked about. That's, you know, that was their recreation, getting together was, you know, they wanted to go golf. If the church gets healthier, we're going to talk about things that might kind of annoy you. We're going to talk about Jesus all the time. We're going to talk about what God's doing in our life. We're going to be, like, praying more and more for one another. We're going to be, like, you know, like, I love the conversations I have with people, and they're, they're, they're asking really hard questions or they're they're making observations from pastor John's study or you know from our Wednesday night study or from sermons you're going to be more and more comfortable because you know you want to say you know your conversation is just going to be like how's the weather how's the kids how's the grandkids All right, good see you next week healthy church We want everyone to be healthy together. And it takes time. But unfortunately, we live in this world where even Christians who want a healthy church, they want to do it without taking, without doing what it takes to be healthy. And being a healthy church doesn't mean each of us is in perfect health. But I think a healthy church. There are signs of a healthy church, and one is how we minister together, and that we do minister together. I think a sign of a healthy church, and this is, again, it's a word that John brought up on Wednesday, is there's harmony. Those of you who sing or play music, you know, you know a chord is, is different notes, and when they're all sung together, it's beautiful. Harmony, it's not everybody doing the same thing. It's not everybody singing the same line. But there's harmony here's some signs of kind of unhealth signs of unhealth and by the way you should watch this not to rebuke people okay but to be listening for it because signs of unhealth is when you start hearing people say like my ministry my bible study my budget my this my that It's kind of scary. If it's healthy, the question is more like, I mean, the statements are more like our children's ministry, our young adult ministry, our Bible studies, our Sunday school. Another sign of unhealth is when you hear people just say, I'm just going to do it, just going to do it. Fancy word, it's called acting unilaterally. Just going to do it. Instead of saying, let's come together, let's talk about it. Let's plan it, let's think about it. Some of the things that people who say, I'm just going to do it, want to do, are awesome, great, wonderful things but they're actually not a ministry of the church if you just want to do it on your own. it's So much better when we do things together. And so we go back to this text and we pick up a couple of more characteristics. Last week, living sacrifice, discipleship, humility, This week we see in verses 4 and 5, the first thing it says there, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. We see two things here. We see a diverse church, we see a united church. A diverse church and a united church. It's not diverse in the way the culture uses diverse, okay? But it is diverse in that in way Paul talks about it is people come from every ethnicity. People come from every socioeconomic class. People come with different abilities, different gifts. But what we need to understand Paul doesn't write the first three verses and then verse 4 separately. He's connecting them. He's saying if, if we're going to be one body in Christ, especially one body in Christ with people who come from all these different backgrounds, have all these different strengths, all these different weaknesses, all these different gifts, if we're going to be one body in Christ, we need to make sure we got verses 1 through 3 right. We need to make sure we are living sacrifices. We need to make sure we are being discipled. Discipleship is essential to the healthy unity of the church. The church cannot be healthy, and it cannot grow if we have few to to none who are being discipled. I can't emphasize this enough. We've emphasized it from before from before the act series but throughout the act series we've been we've been saying this and we're not saying it because john and i came up with this great idea no we're saying it because we see it shouted to us in the text the question i asked last week if you're not being discipled why not And if you don't think you need to be discipled, why are you not discipling others? It's essential. Because through discipleship, not only do we learn information and we grow, as we saw back in verses 2 and 3, it's how we can be transformed. It's also how we can have humility. And humility is essential to our unity. The more I am discipled, the more I grow in my faith. The more I realized how prideful I was before. The more I realized how my Christianity was more about me, and not really that much about God. If I'm in that situation, I, I, how how can I be? in unity with other people, and if all of us are that way, how can we have unity? We're only going to be coming even to worship services to think, what can I get out of it? And if I don't get anything out of it, why do I even come? Discipleship brings us closer and closer to a deeper and deeper knowledge of God deeper understanding of who Jesus is, a deeper understanding of who we were before Christ and who we are now in Christ and who we will be as we continue to grow in Christ. It helps us understand the Gospel. And that's the other part of this. Paul's not going to bring this out here, but... Um, those of you, he, you know, who come on Wednesday nights, we, we talked about what Paul means when he talks about one body, and here he's talking specifically about gifts, but he's also in the context of the Jewish and the Gentile coming together. But we've seen other places in Galatians and others where he talks about it's, it's really God bringing together and uniting people from, from categories, categories, where we divide. And I kind of raised this question on Wednesday night. You know, what would be threats to our, if we don't have the Jewish-Gentile threat, what would be the threat? And, And people came up with a lot of, not saying it's a problem right now, but it could be a problem. Is it generational? Is it education level? Is it socioeconomic status? Is it just, I'm new to the church, I'm old, I've been here at the church. What are the potential things? And what is the solution? Again, this connects to discipleship, but it even goes a step back. Gospel transformation. Gospel transformation unites people from diverse backgrounds as one body in Christ. Gospel transformation is... Yes, Jesus Christ doing what he said he would do. Jesus Christ transforming our lives. And as we're transformed, this is what happens. My identity becomes less and less about the things of this world. I'm, I don't stop being Cheryl's husband, but my identity is in Christ. My identity isn't caught up in being my wife's husband. My identity is not being coach or being pastor or anything else that I do. Any other relationship. My identity is found in Jesus Christ. And that only, we only really come to grips with that through that gospel transformation process. And that's where, again, it's discipleship and it's God's Spirit working in us. Our identity, as as more and more of us find our identity in Christ, our unity is deeper and more intimate, and our health is stronger. But as long as we come here where our identity in Christ is somewhere in the back seat, Maybe in the trunk, but it's there. We can only reach a certain level of health. This reminds us of truth that Paul wants to make sure we understand that the gospel is for all people. You don't have to be smart enough, you don't have to be rich enough. On the other hand, you don't have to be poor enough or dumb enough. It has nothing to do with those things. Understand also, Paul never talks about unity for the sake of unity. And the other problem that sometimes happens, you know, when people start talking about finding our identity in Christ, they're like, oh, you're talking about like everybody being the same. And that, no, that goes against diversity. True Christian unity is not uniformity. I did not do this intentionally, but it's a great illustration that you guys always have before you. Just physically, what does Pastor John and Pastor Matt have in common? Pastor John has more hair under his nose than I have on my head. We're different. We both like to exercise, but we do different kinds of exercising. I love football and all this stuff John likes to go surfing I would probably like surfing if I didn't fear drowning or being eaten by sharks but everybody's different we have different interests we have different backgrounds I come from pastor who you know pastor's family Bible Belt came to Hawaii when I was in elementary school you know John grew up in the Pentecostal movement it's different. We have different reasons that we somehow have such common ground. But you see that every day. You know? I don't even like to hang art in my in my house, and John's got art on his arms, you know? It's pretty awesome. So It's not uniformity, but it is unity. It is celebrating our differences, bringing them together, sometimes to help kind of chip off those things that aren't Christ-like. Iron sharpens iron. But also, more importantly, so that we don't just say we, we come to this same place together, but we serve together. We learn together. We are together. Let me make this clear. God doesn't need you, and he doesn't need me. But let me make this also clear. I need you. If you believe you're a part of this body of Christ, I need you. We need you. And I'm not just saying that to people who are here. I'm talking about people who are kind of on the fence about coming back. If you consider yourself a part of the body of Christ, we need you, and we need your presence. And I'm not talking about coming to Sunday morning worship. That'd be nice, but that's not what I'm talking about. We need your presence in our church, in the community of our church. We need to know that not just that you're home praying silently. We need to know that that you're praying with us. Even if those of you who are online, you know, you don't know how to do a chat. Don't do a chat. Go write a letter and say, I'm online, and then put it in the mail. We'll get it on Wednesday. Send us an email. Let us know that you are active, as active as you can be at this stage of your life or in this life situation. But we need you. Not because we're needy, but because for whatever reason, God said, this is my body at YLI Baptist Church, and it's all of you who say you have covenanted together to be the body of Christ. And I have uniquely gifted each one of you to serve a function in that body. And if you don't do it, the whole body gets hurt. If you decide, I, I, I don't need to be there for the Bible studies, because, you know, I, I, I know it. Great, maybe you do know it. But, you know, I was having a conversation downstairs with somebody in our Sunday school class, not going to use a name, new believer, who said, You know, I don't know how to answer the questions, but I learn by listening to others who do. All of you who think, I know it, I don't need to be there. How is this guy gonna know? How is he gonna understand what other Christians understand if you're not there having the conversation with him, answering the questions? raising the questions we need you but understand christian unity is found not in a feeling of unity but it's found in christ which also means it is not just unity for unity's sake it's not just love for love's sake let me jump to the second part romans 12:6 through 8 he then starts talking about gifts And really, I've already said this, so I'm going to kind of move fast. But every member is gifted to serve. In fact, not only is every member gifted to serve, every church member, every believer in Christ, is gifted and called to serve. Every church member is a minister. second thing that goes along with that is that we serve according to God's gifts to us, not according to our desires. The second point that comes from what we see this is how he's talking about these gifts and about how we use them, but we use them as one body in Christ. In a a healthy church, gifted members serve together. They serve together. They communicate together. They work together. They serve together. They cooperate. Little to nothing is independent action, unilateral action. People come to me with ministry ideas all the time, and I tell them, like, yes, let's let's talk about doing that. Let's pray about doing that. Why don't you write something down, and then we'll present it. And, you know, sometimes people do. But other times people don't. You know why? Because it's their ministry and they want to do it and they just kind of want the church to, you know, acknowledge it. That's fine too. It's fine if it's your ministry. But we don't want to confuse what you do on your own with what we do as a church. The other problem that... We don't have much of this problem, but I've been in churches that have this where it becomes territorial. It becomes, this is my ministry, this is my committee, this is my you know, it's all mine, mine, mine. And I've already talked about, I'm not gonna talk about it again, but that is not a sign of a healthy church. But I think the other part of this that I think we miss is that. When we serve together, it shouldn't be a burden. In fact, when we serve together, as we're going to learn next week, it is a joy. It is a joy. We serve with joy. And you can just see from looking at what Paul's saying how important humility is. How can someone who's so accomplished in their professional life, But when they come to the church, they're still new in their faith. And and now they they are kind of learning from somebody who maybe doesn't have their life experiences, doesn't have the accomplishments they have. Maybe they're serving with people that, you know, you know, like I'm now at the age when I go to the doctor and I go... When did all the doctors become Doogie Hauser? They all look like they're teenagers. And I gotta trust this guy, right? But in the church, it happens all the time. Somebody more mature in their faith might be much younger than you chronologically. We need humility. We serve with joy and humility. question i asked a question returned to if the gospel has changed you if the gospel is changing you if you're truly a christian you should want more and more to serve together and be together not less not same if that's not the deep desire of your heart you need to ask why The questions I raised about discipleship. Again, if if you're being discipled or if you believe you're in a position to disciple others, come talk to us. If you don't know if you're being discipled, you don't even know what that word means, come talk to us. Some of you probably are and you don't know it. When you talk about the diversity of the church, you know, one of the questions that you can ask yourself is, who do you know in this church? Who do you associate with? Is it just the people you've known for however long? Is it the people who are just like you, same age, same interest? I'm going to challenge you in one way that's not that hard, but every time a new person comes to the church, pray this. Pray this. Matter of fact, we're going to have someone baptized. You know, we just voted John Taguchi and Charlotte to be members. But if somebody comes to church, and especially if someone is coming regularly and joining, pray this. Pray, God, what are you leading my relationship to be with that person? What kind of God-glorifying, healthy, Christ-like relationship can I have with that person? Just pray it. Every time. Even if you look around the room right now and you see people you've never seen before, pray that prayer. God might say, leave them alone, okay? <laughs> Don't associate with them. You're not the one. But he might say, go, go talk to them. Go maybe have coffee with them. The harder question is this. And don't look around the room right now, but if you were to think about in this place, who is the person most different from you? And you want to have a weird, awkward, but perhaps very fulfilling coffee or lunch, invite them to coffee and lunch. Someone you know you have nothing in common with, except the fact that you're believers in Jesus Christ. You know the less we have in common, the less we're going to talk about common things, and the more we're going to talk about Jesus Christ. And finally, you hear about ministry. At the end of every service, you hear about ministry opportunities. Pray every time you hear, God, is it me? Are you asking me to do that job? Are you asking me to get ready to do that job? In the next few months, if not... Years we're going to be continuing to look for people to be on our lead team, which are like our elders and and deacons and serve in our children's ministry, our youth ministry, our growth groups. Is it you God is calling? And sometimes God is going to say no, but we need to ask. And if you're not ready, Come, we want to help you get ready. But above all, if you believe God is calling you to serve in any way in this church or to get ready to serve, one of the things that you have to understand in this church and in any healthy church is that you commit to doing it together, not on your own. We do it together.